Hello and welcome to another edition, another great adventure on the Dr. Vincent Buscemi podcast, the survival guide for dentists. If I had to guess, it's the best dental podcast you're listening to because we talk about health, finances, self-improvement, and this is more the philosophy of dentistry. How do you survive? What's the blueprint? I have no idea, but I'm going to do my best to help you out to survive because I know how you feel. You're sad, you're depressed, you're struggling, your finances aren't there, your mental acuity isn't there. I'm going to help you get there. So today, we're going to talk about how to go fee-for-service. Do you feel stuck on the financial hamster wheel? You keep paying on your debts like mortgages, car notes, student and business loans, but they never seem to disappear. My name is Dr. Howard Polanski, former dentist, now founder of Cashflow Coach USA. I guide families and business owners through a simple system to dramatically reduce your payment towards debt. You keep your same lifestyle and keep more money each month. A recent client will pay off their house in just seven months instead of the anticipated 20 years. Free 10-minute discovery call will determine if I can help you too. Go to CashflowCoachUSA.com, scan the QR code, or call 512-608-1020 to find financial freedom faster. Are you tired of using ineffective cosmetics and personal care products filled with harmful chemicals? Meet Ancestral Cosmetics and our range of highly effective products rooted in ancestral wisdom and made with edible ingredients such as beef tallow, olive oil, and raw local honey. Check out our best-selling tallow and honey balm for soft and smooth skin or our revolutionary tooth powder made from eggshells for effective teeth cleaning and whitening without any toxic ingredients. Free US shipping for orders over $50 and you can shop now at ancestralcosmetics.com. Probably the top three things that people reach out to me are the top one's got to be how to go fee-for-service. There seems to be this idea that if you go fee-for-service, you automatically get a Ferrari and you get a million-dollar house and then you only see one patient a day and you produce 40000 a day. If that's the case, I'm not doing that. If you want to achieve that, that's not what's happened with me. I don't take insurance, but I'm not rich. I'm not crushing it. I'm doing okay. But I feel like not taking insurance is the safest bet for any solo or small private practice. With all of these DSOs popping up, I think it's going to be very hard to compete with them on a PPO level because they can cut cost places you can't. Why? Because you probably have higher ethics in them. You probably have higher morals in them. And you don't want to burn and churn your patients. They don't care. They'll see 10 patients a day and they don't care if they come back. You see 10 patients a day and you want those 10 patients to stay with you, most of them, for the next 30 years. So before I get into this, let me start with a story. When I was growing up, you know, I was born in 87, grew up in the 90s. And there was this kid that lived next door to me. Great kid. We actually became really good friends. But he was morbidly obese. I don't even know his weight back then. Because when you're five and six and seven, 
I don't know, maybe he was already 200 pounds, but we were such good friends. Sometimes we would eat dinner at each other's houses. He'd come to my house, eat dinner. I would go to his house and eat dinner. And I have to give his parents credit because he had really good parents and they struggled with helping him maintain his weight. And then early 90s, nobody really knew anything about nutrition. People still don't. Anyway, they assumed fat made you fat, which is not the case. Um, carbohydrates make you fat. So I was eating dinner at his house. And I don't know what we were eating, but he handed me a glass of milk. And he said, I want you to drink this milk. You'll love it. He go, I go, I, I have milk all the time. He goes, no, this is special milk. He goes, it's called skin milk. Remember, we're probably like six years old, maybe seven. Skin milk. He didn't say skim. He said skin milk, which is like the name of a really shitty high school band. Anyway, I knew what skim milk was. I didn't know what skin milk was. And I said, I won't say his name. I go, what is skin milk? He goes, skin milk is a type of milk that you drink that when you drink skin milk, it goes right under your skin. This kid's seven, by the way. It bypasses your stomach. It goes right into your skin. And he goes, and that's why I look like this. I'm big because I drink a lot of skin milk because all the milk is under my skin. And although I'm an idiot now, I must have been more of an idiot back then. I remember thinking like, holy shit. Why are his parents giving him skin milk and making him obese? They need to know that skim milk will help him lose weight. And I went home and told my parents, and they kind of laughed and said, I think he meant skim milk, and he's obese for other reasons. Why am I telling you this story? I'm that kid. I'm the kid that thinks drinking skin milk makes you fat. Because he didn't know what was making him fat. Sometimes when people are doing something in life, they don't know why or how they achieved it. I have an idea of how I achieved fee-for-service. I don't really know how I'm maintaining it, but I'm going to do my best explanation into telling you how to get there. So take everything I say with a glass of skin milk, with a grain of salt, because you need to find your own path. But if I'm going to give you any advice, if I'm talking to Vince from 10 years ago, Go fee-for-service ASAP. You have to set your entire life up to go fee-for-service. It's not just you walk in there, you tell a couple of patients, you're dropping their insurance, and you drop it. It's a holistic, full career, full lifestyle approach. So let's start, as I always say, like my good friend Socrates, who was probably Jesus, right? If you study any philosophy or any religion, Socrates and Jesus were probably the same person. Totally not related to this podcast, but that's something I had to tell you. Okay, let's come to terms. What is fee-for-service? In its most simple form, fee-for-service means you receive a fee the day you do a service. And there's multiple levels of fee-for-service. Let's kind of discuss the different categories. The most absolute, pure, top-tier celebrity status fee-for-service, which I am not, is when you do a crown on a patient or a procedure on a patient. They give you the money that day, and there is zero involvement on your end 
with dental insurance. Zero. You don't even know how to spell the word insurance. That's top tier. I don't know. Maybe Michael Appa, the guy that's online that does like a billion veneers a day, is that level of fee for service. I am not. I don't know any dentist personally that is that level of fee for service. One tier below that, and this is all in top tiers, like different levels. One drop below that one is patient comes in, you do a procedure, they give you cash that day, and then you give them the insurance form, and they go home, they fill it out, they send it in, they get their reimbursement. One more level below that where your boy resides is I do a procedure, a biomimetic overlay on a patient. They give me the money that day. However, I still submit the claim for them, but the money goes to their house. So if they are not reimbursed by insurance, the burden is on them. It's not on me. I got my money up front. As a courtesy to my patients, because I really do care for my patients, if it gets rejected, I will write a narrative for them or I'll resubmit for them, but I don't remit payment to them because I was paid up front. So I'm in that tier where I get paid up front regardless of what the insurance pays. However, I take it a little step further for my patients, a little more bushami touch, and I do submit the claims for them. Some dentists don't. I met a dentist when I was in Atlanta at the Scheduling Institute where she's a little tier above me and she just hands him an envelope and says, you have to do this all on your own. And then she rubbed it in my face. She was one step above me in fee-for-service. So if somebody says they're out of network, it doesn't mean they're fee-for-service. Out of network is where you don't participate with insurance, but you wait for their insurance to pay you and they pay a copay. I think that will get you in trouble. I think the way I do it actually builds and strengthens relationships with patients. Why? Because this, when I was participating in insurance, and I imagine I was never not, I was never out of network and not fee for service. But I imagine if you're out of network and not fee for service, it's the same thing. Let's say your crown's a thousand dollars, and you tell your parent, your parents. Hopefully you're not charging your parents. You tell your patients that they owe you half. So if they owe you half, sorry, I just grabbed a cup of coffee here. So you tell your patients they owe you half. So they pay you 500 bucks and then you're assuming that their insurance will pay the office 500 bucks. Well, let's say the insurance only pays the office 400 bucks. Now there's a gap. Now there's $100 left on the bill insurance didn't cover, patient already paid 500. Now, one of two things have to happen. One, you have to write it off, which do not do that. And number two, you have to go back to the patient and say, by the way, you actually owe me a hundred more dollars because your insurance didn't pay the $400. For some reason, if you tell people this, they are livid. And they either think you lied to them or they think you misread their insurance, like you work for their insurance, and it really degrades and destroys the relationship between you and the patient, which is sad 
Because the only way you can deliver care and care for these people and love them and improve their health is to not have a tethered, destroyed relationship. And insurance will do that. So if you're considering going out of network, be fee for service. Don't be where they you wait for insurance to come in. It's up front it sucks because patients don't like this. But I promise you, if you're gonna go out of network and drop all insurance, which you should tomorrow, call your insurance company tomorrow, which is Sunday, and say I'm dropping all my insurance. Go fee for service. Get the money up front. And like magic, the relationship between you and your patient, which is your most valuable asset in building your business will improve. Remember, it's the people's lives you create value for in which you'll create money for yourself. It's not burning and churning and making people upset. So why did I go fee-for-service? I kind of touched on this. Though I believe fee-for-service is going to be the safest route for private practice dentists. Probably not DSOs, they run more off a PPO model. But if you have a couple dentists or it's just you, I think fee for service is the way to go. Here's up my coffee there. Because with inflation, I mentioned this in the 10 scams in dentistry, with inflation, and especially with the rising cost and labor costs, and supplies are going up, and software fees are going up, and my rent's going up and my weight's going up, all of this type of inflation, this degradation of the buying power of your dollar, the only defense you have is either raise your fees, which you can if you're fee for service, or burn and churn and see more patients. I can't do that. I don't have the mental skills, the physical skills, the... I don't know, resilience to work fast, to work hard on patients like that. Another reason I went fee-for-service, I'm slow. I'm just a slow dentist. I take 90 minutes for a crown prep. Um, I sit in hygiene and I talk to patients. I'm a talker when it comes to my patients. I had this one patient. She's a holistic doctor. We're on the same wavelength of like everything politically everything religiously, everything philosophy. And every time I see her, I almost have to add an extra half an hour to the appointment just because we're like two schoolgirls picking back up after summer and catching up. So I truly talk to my patients. I really take my time. I practice biomimetic dentistry. And intrinsically, that's a slow form of dentistry. You have to do immediate dentin sealing and let the first 5.5 millimeters of bond and dentin and flowable cure and rest and what do they call couple, decouple for five minutes. That's slow. You can't do that in a PPO schedule. So the way I'm set up neurologically, intellectually, my personality, if I didn't go fee for service, I would have been swallowed up whole by my competition. Being fee for service is the only thing that is saving me from having a terrible practice. So now it comes to, you're asking, Vince, I got a five-year plan. How do I go fee-for-service? There's a couple of things you have to understand and a couple of things you have to have in place 
And I think you can do it. If you really believe, if you really stick to it, you know that saying where that one commander like burned all the ships when he got on sea and like there's no turning back. If you put it in your mind, you're going to go fee for service. And no matter what happens, the first couple of years you're fee for service, you're not going to go back to insurance. You'll do it. But if you go fee for service and you constantly think to yourself, I should be in insurance. Maybe I'll pick up one plan. PPOs aren't that bad. PPOs used to love me. I used to love them. It's like a terrible relate. Like, don't go back to your ex. Don't go back to your ex-girlfriend. Don't go back to your ex-boyfriend. PPOs are your ex-girlfriend and boyfriend. Drop them. They've been cheating on you, and it's time to go fee-for-service, time to find someone else to love. So you have to understand the concept of consumer versus producer. So let's back this up a little bit. If you study any form of philosophy or economics or anything on the free market, the basic, I guess, framework for free market exchange is this. Man or woman uses their brain and their actions and behavior to take the raw materials of the world and turn those into either a product or a service or a combination of both, and that's called a value. And you take that value and you give it to someone else with the understanding that other person is going to give you something in return for that value. Because it's illegal to barter because you have to pay taxes. In our example now, it's money. So you create a value, which is going to be dental work and your patient gives you money. By creating that value, you're the producer, the patient is the consumer. So you, when you go fee for service, you have to constantly, constantly, constantly think to yourself, I'm a producer. Am I producing enough value for the patient and the value is just not closed margins. Am I producing enough value for this patient that they are willing to give me money in exchange for what I'm giving them and that we will both be satisfied? So if you give somebody value and you scam them, the, you are no longer the producer of the value. You're the consumer because you consumed more in that exchange and they produced more because they gave you the money. So when you are exchanging value with your patients, you always have to think, am I the producer? Is the value I am giving this person, exchanging with this person in higher value than the money they're giving me? You always have to think if you charge a thousand for your crown, is the value of the surface, the service, and this is another thing we're going to get to. You're providing the service, not a product. Is the value of that service more than $1,000? The answer should always be yes. I know that's very hard to quantify because it's subjective. But you have to think to yourself, you are the producer. And I know in, like, when you talk to your boss and your associate and you work for a big DSO, they want you to be a producer. But their idea of producing is just quantity. Burn, churn, burn, churn, produce, produce, produce. 
that definition is false. That person telling you that is an idiot. If somebody tells you they're a big producer in dentistry, like, oh, I produced 200,000 this month, they're using the definition wrong and they're an idiot. A producer is somebody that creates value. So when you're fee for service, you have to be a producer, but not a producer in the quantity sense, a producer in the value sense. And if you're always producing enough value and you are savvy enough to capture the exchange and get the money from the patient and the patient always feels that the value they receive was more than the money they gave you, that's your first step in going fee for service. So the first step is changing your mindset or changing your ideas of what it means to be a producer. <clears throat> I'm not a high producer in the wrong sense. I don't burn and churn. I'm not seeing 100 patients a day. When I worked in Medicaid, my boss was so proud of me because I was a producer in her eyes. But I wasn't really producing much value. I was just producing a lot of fillings and extractions. That's not producing. So you have to change your definition of what it means to produce. Always wake up and ask yourself the question, how much value can I produce today? Because money will always follow value if you can capture that. So let's say I do a bunch of really high quality work on a patient and I don't charge them as a charity case. I still provide a value. Money doesn't follow that. So if you provide value and you're able to capture the exchange, you will get the money that follows value and you'll always be improving the lives of others. This goes into the second one. Are you selling a product or a service? You're not selling a product. I have a Seric machine and that little block that I create my overlays and crowns out of is what? 40 bucks, 32 bucks. That's not the price of my crown. Because if I only charge $32 for a crown, I'd go bankrupt. You have to convey to your patients, but more importantly, you have to believe in yourself that you're not in the commodity product industry. You are providing a service. And the service doesn't start when they walk in the door. The service starts when they call you. So if you feel bad about charging for limited exams, which I used to in the past, you still have the mindset, I'm in a product. I'm not giving them anything. You are. You're giving them a service. And this should really change your mindset on how you examine your patients. When you're in Medicaid or PPO, you jump into the hygiene exam, it's two minutes. When you're fee for, maybe it's not, for me it was. When you're fee for service, they're giving you cash for that exam and hygiene that day. So you had to provide enough value in that exam room that they feel like the money they gave you for the exam was worth the exchange. You're not providing a product. You're providing a service. And there happens to be a small product, which is a tiny, tiny filling or a tiny veneer or a crown within the product, in the service, but as a service. So you're always thinking, I'm providing a service. 
And this goes into the next point. There's two forms of relationships you have in a practice. It's either a transactional or a relationship one. Maybe I didn't say that right. So two types of exchange, that's how you do it. There's two types of exchange. Transactional, which is I give you the service, you give me the money, and we're done. If you want to build a fee-for-service practice, I promise that's not how you do it. You have to think of a relational exchange. I have patients that call me to my office or even my cell phone for non-dental related stuff. I had this, this guy's hilarious. I had this guy, he went to Michigan State. He's probably in his late 70s now. This guy's hilarious. He knows I went to Michigan. He had back surgery like a couple months ago and he was on some type of narcotic that gave him terrible nightmares. And out of the blue, this guy sends me a text message and says, Doc, I just had a terrible nightmare. I had this nightmare that I went to Michigan University instead of Michigan State. Just telling me jokes. I have patients who will call my office and tell my front desk they just had a new grandchild. They want to tell us all about it. They want to come in and show us pictures. I have, I'm in my, I guess there's a consultation room right now where I'm recording. I use it as a podcast studio. I have patients that don't have appointments that would come into my podcast studio and do work. I have students that are students during midterms, and while I'm making their crown on the CEREC, they're in this room studying for midterms. So I'm developing a community. I'll have someone stop by, come to the coffee bar, have a sip of coffee, and leave, and they don't have an appointment. So my patients, our relationship isn't transactional. It doesn't start and stop with the service and the payment. It is long-term. And if, you're, if you don't like that idea, in my opinion, unless you're like a celebrity cosmetic dentist, I think it's hard to build a fee-for-service practice. When, I, when my sister was diagnosed with cancer last year, by the way, she's cancer-free. She overcame stage four cancer. Check out my podcast, Rock Bottom. I talk more about that. But when my sister was diagnosed with cancer, I told my patients and randomly patients would call or text me and ask what they could do for me to help me through a hard time. That's just the type of relationship I have with my patients. And that patient probably feels that the type of relationship we have is worth paying upfront for services because there's a certain value there they don't get somewhere else. Not everybody likes that. Some of my patients probably think I talk too much. I did have one patient tell me, stop talking to me. Don't tell me what you're doing. Just fix my tooth and let me leave. So they see value in time. But you have to think relational. Every patient that I work on, the next day, even if I do exams, not hygiene, just on my side, I have my front desk call them and say, how are you doing? Do you have any questions? What else can we do for you? So once in a while, patients, their HSA card, that's another thing we get into, their HSA card doesn't work. There's not enough money in it. And they can't pay for the service that day. They're going to give me a check in a week or something. Even when I have my staff call the next day and see how they're feeling, I tell my staff, do not mention anything about money. All I want to know is that they're doing okay and if they have any more questions. 
I also give my patients my cell phone, which I don't know if this is a good idea, but so far it's working. I've only had, like I said, one patient in my 10 years that I thought was going to like come to my house and like blow up my mailbox because something happened with their treatment. And I would wake up and actually it was, I woke up on Christmas morning and had like 25 text messages from her saying she is how I ruined her life. But that's the only person that's abused my cell phone. So I, when I finish my hygiene exam, I say to them, please call me if you have any questions. And I mean that. I think that form of relationship helps build a fee-for-service practice. The next one I want to get into is clinical competency, authority marketing, and limited focus of practice. What does that mean? Let me get a sip of my coffee here. I dropped endo. That probably added 40 years to my life. I dropped almost 99% of oral surgery. I dropped implants. I kept biomimetic dentistry, orthodontics, and now I'm getting into sleep apnea. However, I have limited my focus of practice to a point that I'm really, 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 really good at the very few things I do. I can't legally call myself a specialist because I'm not, but I've limited my practice so well that I would say my skills at biomimetic dentistry are just as high as an endodontist is with root canals or an oral surgeon is with third molars. When I was doing root canals, I could not honestly sit here and say, I'm just as good as my endodontist. Not even close. Even on the easy ones, I'm not. So by limiting my focus, I have skyrocketed my clinical competency. And there's two benefits to that. The first one is just if you're a really good clinician at what you're doing, it shows up in your work. And people love that. If you, I had a patient come in the other day. Zirconia crown on 31, either was cemented incorrectly, the bite was also off, three, four weeks, can't chew on it. I adjusted the bite a couple times, still can't chew on it. It had reversible pulpitis. I chopped off zirconia crown, prepped up the tooth a little bit, IDS, Emax, glued on. Within two days, the crown has no sensitivity. The patient thinks I'm a wizard. I'm not. I just learned about biomimetic dentistry, but to have that form of skill, to be able to take a sensitive tooth and turn it not sensitive without a root canal, to have that type of competency, people are attracted to that. So that leads into being an authority on what you're doing. So people are willing to pay out of network fee for service when they know what they're going to get is going to be a predictable and good result. So there's less risk because I'm a actually able to achieve that. Now, if somebody needs a root canal, don't come to me. I'll probably break every file off into your tooth and your tooth will explode. But limiting your practice allows you to be the, and I'm not saying I'm the best, but allows you to be top tier clinician, which if you're gonna go fee for service, you have to be a top tier clinician. I will say this. I know a lot of dentists who are fee-for-service and who are PPO, and there's not much of a difference in their clinical competency. So just because you are fee-for-service doesn't mean you're a better dentist. There's plenty of dentists in PPO 
who are just killing it and who are great clinicians. But if you're going to survive and maintain fee-for-service, you got to be the best at what you do. The second thing on that is, this is, if you get into a room, and I've, I've been here, so this is the truth. If you get into a room with a group of specialists, maybe especially endodontists, every endodontist thinks every general dentist who's doing root canals is an idiot and is hurting patients more than they're helping them. Is this true? It's not. I'm sure there are dentists out there, general dentists, that are just as good as endodontists doing root canals. However, every specialist secretly thinks if you're a GP, you're a stupid idiot for doing specialty procedures. And I, I see their perspective. We'll, we'll keep with endodontists because the, the person I'm talking about is an endodontist. And they think that every dentist who does root canals is like a murderer. They go to school for two or three years after dental school. They only do root canals. And if you understand the physiology and psychology of mastery of skills, you know that it's repetition under time. So the more quality reps you get in a shorter amount of time, the better your brain can understand and learn that procedure. Dentists just do not get the reps that endodontists get for root canal. That's just the truth. So in general, endodontists are better at root canals. So if you're doing root canals, first, you're taking money away from them. Second, they think you're taking money and providing the bad service. But if you stop doing, and I'm not telling you to do this, but if you stop doing specialty procedures, for I, I had this experience now, the specialist will flock to you. What do I mean? All of my specialists, my periodontist, my endodontist, and my endodontist is not the one that doesn't think, it um, doesn't publicly think dentists can't do root canals. My oral surgeon, everyone I refer to, my orthodontist, that I stopped doing their procedure, they started referring me patients. Now, this is monumental in building a fee-for-service practice. I'm going to give a shout-out to my oral surgeon, Dr. Archie Lee Hall. He was on this podcast before. He's like the best guy in the state, maybe in the country. Or else. He's amazing. He's DDSMD. Imagine the type of authority or prestige that looks upon me when this world-class surgeon refers patients to me for general dentistry. So a lot of your specialists will get patients and the patients don't like their dentist, but they trust the specialist and they ask the specialist, who is someone you recommend? Who is the best? And if you stop doing specialty procedures and you establish a really good relationship with your specialist and you're good, they're going to say you. I see a lot of parents of my specialist. So my, one of my endodontists I use, I see his mother-in-law. I see some of my specialists are my patients. They come to me because I don't do their procedures and they think in their mind, well, shoot, <clears throat> if I specialized in endodontics and got really good and he specialized in biomedics and got really good, I want, sorry, <clears throat> sorry. 
I want to go to him. So if you limit your focus, you're going to get really good quality referrals from your specialist because all the patients that go to your specialist will ask, I want a new dentist, and they're going to send people to you. And it's so funny, specialists always talk to each other, and they always ask, like, who's the best dentist in the area? I want to go to him or send patients. And other specialists will tell other specialists to send patients to you, which I'm getting. And the best type of patient comes from a word-of-mouth referral, and the absolute best type of patient comes from a word-of-mouth referral from another authority, which is a specialist. So if you're going to go fee-for-service, and if you're going to get these, I don't want to say high-quality patients because PPO patients aren't low-quality, but if you're going to get these patients that are willing to pay out-of-pocket fee-for-service, cash money for your services, or HSA money, limit your practice. Specialists will be sending you patients. I can't tell you how much money I've received from my specialist, from patients they referred me, especially oral surgeons. I'll get a patient that gets like five implants from an oral surgeon and they don't want to go back to their patient or to their doctor, so the oral surgeon sends them to you. And the patient thinks, some of these patients thinks I'm a specialist and I'm not because I had another specialist referred to me. <clears throat> another thing you need to know when you go fee for services, you got to be on time all of the time. The A lot of my patients, and I talked about this on the Alan Mead show, his is called the Very Dental Podcast. A lot of my patients, it's not money that's their barrier, it's time. They are on a time crunch. I feel like half my patients are attorneys and the other half are doctors or surgeons. And like maybe a third, I know it's over 100%, but another third is like business owners. They're on a time crunch. If you are not on time, you are degrading the value you're giving the patient. You had, If I'm running five minutes behind, I have my front desk call that patient and say, I'm running five minutes behind. You always have to be on time. How do you achieve this? A couple of ways. If you limit your focus of practice, the procedures throughout the day, are more predictable because you've done this type of crown a thousand times. You know how long it would take. So you limit your practice. So if, if someone threw an extraction in my schedule, it would blow out my day. If I had to dig out a root tip and it took 45 minutes, that would be 45 minutes into another procedure that would delay the other person. So by doing such predictable and limited focus, not only are you better at those procedures, you're better at getting the timing of those procedures. Your day runs smoother. Your staff is less stressed. You're not sweating because you're an hour behind. And your patients barely, their butts barely hit the seats in the waiting room. My patients always say, you have such a nice waiting room. However, I'm barely sitting in this waiting room. Thank you for always being on time. And also just schedule enough time. If you can charge enough for a procedure, you don't got to double book. Never double book if you're in uh, fever service. You're not going to be running behind. You can give yourself enough time not only to do the procedure, but to develop the rapport and relationship during the procedure. So you always have to run on time. If you don't run on time, you better have a really, really good reason. And the patient who's coming next 
better be understanding. A lot of my patients are not, not because they're mean, because they're so freaking busy. I have a couple of patients who own a private jet. They don't have time to waste a half hour. Maybe they do because they're loaded, but I don't want to run behind. The next thing, a membership plan. Every consultant, dentist you listen to talks about a membership plan will increase your chances of retaining non-insurance patients. It gives them the idea that they are insured, but it's not called insurance. That's illegal to call it insurance. And it gives them a form of safety. So I have a membership plan. I don't know how much it costs a month, but the patient gets within this fee, two cleanings, two exams, one set of x-rays, one emergency exam, and 15% off all procedures on my side. So if I do a crown for $100, they get $15 off and it only costs them $85 for a crown. Patients love this membership plan. I have patients that have insurance that drop their insurance and they had this membership plan. I'm telling you, I fought this for a while and here's the, the mistake I made with my membership plan when I finally decided to do it. I tried to manage it on my own and it was awful. <laughs> I was missing things, people were paying. It was, I tried to get recurring credit cards into my system. Credit cards were expiring, I didn't know. So some people got the membership plan for free for a while. It, just, it didn't work out well. And then you forget who has it. I'm not gonna say the company I use I should actually ask them to advertise on this website or my podcast, but I signed up with a company that manages my membership program and I love it. Patients love it. It is, it's all around one of the best things I did and one of the most important things you can do to maintain fee for service. I tell people, listen, some people have insurance and they have the membership program and they can't use both at the same time, but some people just keep their insurance for catastrophic things which it doesn't cover that anyway. And they use their membership plan to like get their cleanings for free. So it's amazing. And what's cool about my membership plan is they can pay monthly because the company takes a recurring credit card payment from them. And I'm outside of that. And then they just take a small fee from me and it works out perfect. So get a membership plan. The second thing is, and I talked about working with Equa Marketing, that's what I use now, and Eric Block, the stress-free dentist also works with them, and Gary Takis. He's not a dentist, but when he owned a practice in Arizona with another dentist, they use them too. You gotta master Google. Insurance is not insurance. Insurance is like a really, 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 really expensive way to market your services at a discount price, which is insane. That's what people are doing. Google is going to combat you not having insurance. You have to dominate organic SEO. And how do you do this? This goes back to limiting your scope of practice. If I'm just a regular drill fill family general practice, which there's nothing wrong with that, but why would somebody spend more money with me than someone else in network if they can get kind of the same service for that? And that type of dentist is harder to search online. So I have a lot of patients that drive very far to come see me. I got a couple that come out of state. 
one guy that this guy's such a cool guy. He owns a trucking company, and when he makes, he lives in Arizona, and when his route hits Michigan, he sees me. Pays out of pocket, out of network. Why? Because that guy searched biomimetic dentistry. I have to give it up to, I think it's probably Stephen Schiffenhaus, who is really moving the needle forward on making this name more of a mainstream name. And there's another YouTuber that made a video on biomimetic dentistry that like blew up for me too. So the term biomimetic dentistry is becoming more mainstream. More people are searching biomimetic dentistry. When they search biomimetic dentistry, guess who comes up? Chaboy. I come up and people call and say, is he really a biomimetic dentist? And we say, yes, he is. He trained with the Alamans and trained with Steve Schiffenhaus. And they go, I don't know who those people are, but I'm going to drive in. People come to me. You can, in my opinion, you can only dominate Google if you have a specific service people are searching for. Nobody's searching for Vincent Buscemi. Nobody knows me outside Bloomfield, Rochester, but people search for the service and then I come up to it, which is also really cool. What I'm starting to do is I am starting to get on the podcast circuit for other podcasts, not other dentists. Side note, I've asked a bunch of dentists to be on their podcast. They've all said no, except like Eric Block and Alan Mead. So I don't know what that's about, but I'm getting other health podcast. I was just on a podcast with some, her name was Bridget and she runs a podcast functionally autoimmune. It's all about how to deal with autoimmune disorders, which I have no idea how to, but she examines and questions experts in their field. And I was on their field. And what do I do with that podcast? I get the recording. I put it on my website. They get the script for it. They link it to Google. And now if you type in biomimetic, not only will my name come up, all of the podcasts I've been on will come up, and then I'll look like more of an authority on health. So I also advertise biological dentists, but that doesn't get as many hits as biomimetic. So you need to get organic SEO, CEO, I'm the CEO. You need to get organic SEO up and running and have a reason why people are going to search you, a procedure. Maybe it is root canals. Maybe it is implants. Maybe it is, I don't know, Botox, but get, and you have to be good at that. So get really, 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 really good at one thing and then advertise that one thing on Google and people will search that and come to you for it and they'll be willing to come out of network fee for service to get that from you. I'm not saying you can't do other procedures, but because I do, I do orthodontics and I do sleep apnea, but the main reason people come to me is biomimetics and same day because they're so busy and they drive so far, they don't want to come back to seat the crown. So dominate Google. The next thing, this is, it takes maturity to understand this. Am I mature? I'm getting there. I'm still kind of a baby. I still have an ego. I'm still sensitive. But you have to always, always, always be training your staff in relationships, in productivity, in producing value for patients. It is harder for your staff 
to constantly have the mindset, how do we produce more value for the patient? Why? Because in a standard way of the way most dentists pay their staff, more value to the patient doesn't equal more pay for them. And unless your mom is working for you, and I am trying to get my mom to work for me, they need more money to do more work. It's just the way it works out. You need more money to do more work. You're motivated to work hard and build your practice. Why? One of the reasons is money. They are not as motivated because most of the time the way you pay them is not more value, more money. But you need to change that. You need to get them on an incentive plan because the way reality works, like we talked about in the beginning, money follows value. It proceeds. Value comes first. Money comes second if you can capture it. That's how the human brain works. That's how reality is set up. That's how God set up the world. And if you disconnect that from your staff and you don't give them more money for more value, they're not going to constantly ask the question, how do we produce more value? Because they're not going to get more money. They're going to get lazy. They're going to get entitled. They're going to get resentful. I once had a staff member say to me, I don't like the idea that when we all work harder, only you make more money. For a year, that bothered me. I did not like that person in my brain for a year, but that was the truth. So I had my staff on like 70% fixed pay, 30% incentives. And I can get more into incentives in another podcast. But you need to constantly train your staff to ask how to create more value. And the only way you can do that and actually create a system is to create incentives for your staff. And tell your staff, Money comes after the value, not before. A second thing. Oh boy, did I make a mistake on this. If you have a fee-for-service practice, money only comes in when people are giving you fee for your services. I, I didn't understand this. When I owned a group practice with a bunch of, we'll say losers, money was always coming in. Because we were in a lot of PPOs. So although they're denying claims, you're getting discounts on claims, money is always trickling in from insurance. Ain't nothing trickling in in fee-for-service. If you go on vacation, if you have a couple bad days, if you have a slow month and high expenses, or if you have a couple patients that can't pay that day and you trust them and they pay the next day, you're going to be in a cash flow crunch. How do you combat this? Either you are born with a trust fund and you just take your own personal money and put it back in the business, or you have to get a business line of credit. Right now, if you're considering going fee-for-service, call your bank and say, I need a line of credit, ASAP, and get it. Right now, they're doing about 10% of yearly collections. Banks are getting skittish. So don't delay, get a line of credit. If you pull it out, it's not a loan until you start using it. So if you pull out $100,000, you only have to pay the interest on what you use on that and you can put it right back in. So it's not like you're pulling out $100,000 and you're instantly being charged interest and on the principal, only what you use. 
I had a cash crunch in July. I had July just in this area because everyone's like on their yachts and in their cottages. Is it my slowest month all of the time? I had really big expenses this month. I had a my heating and cooling unit broke, a slow month, and the business had higher expenses than the money that came in. I was negative in July. That my salary is in there too. So now coming into August, bank accounts looking real slim, real thin. But I have a line of credit. So if for some reason something else happens, I can tap into that line of credit and not go bankrupt. Remember, cash flow through your business is like oxygen in your blood. It is the life force of your practice. So get a line of credit because insurance isn't trickling in for me. It's just patient payment. You, This is so important. I didn't understand this in PPO or even like last week, but you not only have to really like your staff and I've somehow hit the jackpot with my staff. You also have to really like your patients. Why? Dentistry is not selling TVs. Dentistry is an intimate relationship where you provide a intimate service, healthcare service for this person, and they give you money in exchange. You have to like your patients to provide enough value for them all of the time. Because if you don't like your patients, you're not going to want to. This is a very taxing job. Patients, they drain your emotions. They pull everything out of you because they need you. You're supporting them. And in exchange, you get paid and you give them value. But if you don't like your patients, let's say you said a patient that got a divorce and they're really sad, and they're crying in your chair. I've had this patient that a child of hers was diagnosed with a terrible disease, and she was just in my chair crying for a half hour about how sad she is, and we actually weren't even able to do the procedure. She said, I just can't do this today. I have to go home. So I scheduled 90 minutes for her. We had to cancel it. No money was made. But I like that patient enough and care enough about that patient. And they know that they're going to come back to me. So if you're fee for service, and this is maybe PPO, but you have to love most of your patients and truly care about your patients. And you have to love your staff. Here's just an idea for staff. If you are constantly thinking or resenting someone on your team and you're at home and you're thinking about them or you're on vacation and you're thinking about them, fire them, get rid of them. I know staff is hard to come by, but if you don't like your staff, you're not going to be able to keep producing value. That's such a constant theme. You have to keep producing value. A couple more things to end with, and this is in the book, Everything is Marketing by Fred, I think it's Jovel or Fred, I forgot his last name, he was the CEO and founder of 1-800-DENTIST Technology. This is insane. I have a cone beam CT in my office, which is insane that it takes 3D x-rays. 
I have a Ceric machine, a Prime Scan, the best Ceric machine that creates same day quality crowns. I have a lot of technology in my office. People view technology with competency. And it's funny, the most impressed, people are impressed with the one thing I have, I said that wrong, is I have an intraoral camera in every operatory I work in, and I have a big screen TV hung from the wall. So when I take a picture of their cracked tooth and pull it up on the big screen TV in the operatory, they can real time see it. And when I work on patients, I take updated photos and I put that on the screen and I say like, oh, look at this crack. It went deeper than we thought. Look at this cavity. Look how sensitive your gums are gonna be because I had to drill below your gums to get rid of the cavity. That is not high technology. This is a camera and a TV. Yet, all of the compliments I get are, oh my gosh, this is like space age, futuristic. We are so impressed with the amount of time you invested you invested into this technology. This is amazing. So in that book, Everything is Marketing, which you definitely should read, he talks about patients perceive technology as competency. Patients, for some reason, perceive technology with a sterile office too, like you're more clean. So you need to have nice technology. But, and this goes back to the scams in dentistry, only buy this technology if you can make it profitable. My Seric machine is profitable. This intraoral camera is profitable. So if you have technology, make sure it's profitable, but you need some form of technology. The last one is, oh, I went over that one. Develop, oh, I have a double, okay. That's how you go fever service. So whenever I develop these podcasts, I always think to myself, how can I provide value for you? I recently had a couple dentists reach out to me and ask, how do I go fee-for-service? They told me that their plan, their five-year plan, is to go fee-for-service, and I hope this helped. So, again, you can always reach out to me. My Instagram handle is VinceDDS. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Spotify. You can email me at vbushamydds at gmail.com. I'm thinking about getting off TikTok and all the other social media and really just focusing on, <clears throat> uh-oh, hope I'm not getting sick, on Instagram. So thank you again for listening. This is a passion of mine. Helping you is a passion of mine. I just freaking love doing this podcast. I love you guys. Stay tuned. I'll see you guys next time.